don't believe in the resurrection. But what surprised me in the article was that its claim, based on a survey, that 40% of people who don't attend church say they believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. I'm not sure if I trust that result, but that was what they claimed. 40% of people in Australia who don't go to church, when they were asked, said they believe that Jesus came alive after he died. Now today we're looking at a part of the Bible where Paul is writing to Christians who don't believe in the resurrection. Now when I say they don't believe in the resurrection, it's not that they didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. People saw that resurrection happened. It's hard to argue against that resurrection for them. But they didn't think that they would be raised. Okay? They didn't believe in the idea of just dead people rising in general. See, dead people stayed dead. Resurrection, that was a foreign concept. Jesus, I guess he was a bit of exception to the rule. They saw that happen, can't deny it, but dead people, no way. Which is where I guess I thought most people would be at in our culture. You know, rational, scientific people, no resurrection. Dead is dead. But it seems that people want to cling on to some idea of life after death, even if for them it's only wishful thinking which I think fits in with our whole culture's avoidance of death, doesn't it? Death is still the forbidden topic at um, dinner parties. It's a guaranteed conversation stopper. In fact, I've been in hospital with people who've had days left to live and they still haven't talked to anyone close to them about what it means to die. It's taboo. But we can't ignore death. It's there facing us all. So instead, Hollywood comes up with some wishful thinking idea of life after death. And you know in the movies where dead people come back at important times to comfort us and give us guidance and that kind of thing. Or if we don't come up with fairy stories, we try and domesticate death, don't we? We reduce it just to mere biology. It's just part of being human. Death is natural. And they lived a good life. They had a good innings. They suffered enough. enough. Or sometimes we domesticate it by sanitising it, don't we? People don't die at home anymore. They're whisked away and they're hidden from the living. And at a funeral, we don't see the body. It's shut up tightly in a nice, clean, shiny coffin. And we have the bodies handled by professionals. It's all very slick. It's quite different, isn't it, to what happened to Jesus in in his day. Joseph of Arimathea, we heard, a follower of Jesus, and Nicodemus, they take the body themselves and they wrap it up with myrrh, and, uh, and they put wrappings on it and they put it in a tomb. It's very hands-on. And then the women are going there on the Sunday morning to anoint the body with spices. They're going to touch Jesus' cold flesh and rub it with spices. It's very different to today. But I wonder how, as Christians, we should face death. How can we, on the one hand, not domesticate it, not revert to wishful thinking fairy stories, But on the other hand, not fear it. See, how can we face up to the reality of death but still be different to people around us who have no hope? How can we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil but not be ignoring it, not be putting on a plastic smile and pretend that it doesn't hurt? Well, this morning, we're thinking about how the events of Jesus' life and death and resurrection have taken the sting out of death. Death has no sting. 
for Christians. And we're looking at that in three sections. Firstly, what has happened in Jesus' death and resurrection. Then what will happen in the future for us. And then lastly, we'll look at how that will change how we live now. But first, let's look at the historical events surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection. And we're going to go right back to the start of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So look at 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. This is Paul, the apostle. He wasn't an eyewitness at all, but he's been told things by people who saw it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and then we'll look at the rest in a little while. But notice there, the start is that Jesus died and he was buried. Now, I'm not sure how many times you've seen a dead body or touched a dead body, but there's something very final, isn't there, about touching a cold human being who has no life left in them. I remember touching my grandma on the face and it was just cold and clammy. Well, Jesus' dead body here is just like any other dead body. There's nothing different about his dead body. Like my grandfather who died last year, like some of my friends, like my father who died, Jesus died. His heart stopped beating, brain stopped functioning, organs decaying. It's beyond reversal. He's dead. And some of his followers, we're told, took the limp, cold body. They anointed it with spices. They wrapped it up and they put it in a tomb. That's verse 3. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried. But that's only the first half of the story. With that in mind, he's dead just like anyone else. Have you thought about how radical these next words are? He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared. See, suddenly this is out of the realm of our experience. We've all experienced death, but this is something totally new. Somehow this dead body, and it's the same body, it's still got holes in, the hand, in his hands and in his side, but yet it's a different body because it's now an imperishable body. Not sure how that works, but this body is alive again. It's eating, it's talking, and somehow the person inside the body now is the same person that was inside the body before it died. Now, as strange as that sounds, that's what happened. Let's not pretend it's easy to believe. It's never happened before Jesus, and it hasn't happened yet since. There's been um, resuscitations, but not resurrections. But if there is a God, then it can happen because God gives life. And the witnesses tell us that it did happen. They saw it. It's worth noting, isn't it, that Paul is not writing 1 Corinthians 15 to prove that the resurrection of Jesus happened. The early church didn't need proof of Jesus' resurrection. Lots of them saw it happen. But these people haven't made the connection between Jesus' resurrection and their resurrection. 
These people are thinking that after they die, they'll stay dead. And Paul's writing to convince them that no, just like Jesus, they'll be raised. See, he points to what was indisputable. When Paul was writing, you couldn't deny the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 5. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, you can go and ask them about it, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, then to Paul in a vision. See, everyone knows it happened. 500 people witnessed it. Most of them are still alive. The authorities couldn't keep it quiet, even though they tried. Paul is saying to these unbelieving Corinthians, you saw Jesus raised, you can't deny that fact. If God can do that, then why do you doubt your own resurrection? Yes, it sounds unbelievable that God can take a dead corpse and bring it back to life, but it happened to Jesus So why do you have trouble thinking that it'll happen to you? See, the early church had different issues uh, than we have, don't they? Because they were so close to the events. The issue for them isn't whether Jesus was raised. That was certain. The issue is the implications for them. So Paul says in the rest of this chapter, because of what's happened to Jesus, certain things will follow. So we'll pick it up over at verse 20. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, as surely as in Adam everyone died, And there's proof of that all around us. Adam's death is all around us as we watch friends and family die. No one escapes that. Well, just as in Adam, all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. Now, Paul goes on later to qualify that. He's talking about all believers. And why will all be made alive in Christ? Verse 20, because Jesus is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. The first fruits idea comes from uh, the harvest. The first pickings of the crop means that there's more coming. Imagine for a moment that it's not Easter Sunday, but it's New Year's Eve. Maybe you're down on Darling Harbour, uh, ready for the fireworks. Maybe you're down here at the Davo Showground. Maybe you're at home watching it on TV. But it's the countdown till midnight, and down we count it down, and then up comes the first firework. Bang, you know? What happens next? There's another fireworks, isn't there? And then there's another one. And then before long, the whole sky is full of fireworks. Paul is saying Jesus' resurrection is like that first fireworks. The show is only just starting. There's going to be another resurrection and another resurrection, lots of resurrections. There's just a delay between the first one and the rest. Now, Paul gets that from the Old Testament because in the Old Testament... It doesn't speak a lot about the resurrection, but when it does speak about the resurrection in Ezekiel 37 or in Daniel 12, it doesn't talk about one person being raised. It talks about lots of people, many people being raised to everlasting life. And Paul is saying Jesus is the beginning of that. Jesus' resurrection is the first 
of the many that God promised. And those people who are united with Jesus by faith will be raised with him. I was reading a book a little while back called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance when I got my little scooter. And um, it describes two kinds of motorbike riders. There's the first kind who they just want to ride. Okay, they don't care how the motor works. They don't care what a spark plug is. As long as the motorbike is serviced, as long as when they turn the key it goes, they just want to ride it and they're happy to be ignorant. But then there's the other kind of motorcycle rider, and I don't know which one's better, but they're the curious one. They need to know how everything works, even if it means pulling the whole carburetor apart on their kitchen table when it's working, and uh, they just gotta, they got to know how it works. They've got to know what the piston is, all that kind of thing. Well, I think it's a bit the same with the resurrection. Some people are just happy to know that it will happen, and they'll be there with Jesus. But others want to ask questions. When? How? What kind of body will it be? And it's a question that the Corinthians asked. I don't think it's out of curiosity. I think it's out of trying to be difficult because Paul rebukes them. Maybe they're asking, so they're saying there's no resurrection, so maybe they're saying there can't be a resurrection because our bodies will be rotted. I mean, what kind of bodies will we have in the resurrection if there's a resurrection? And so even though Paul rebukes them and tells them they're foolish for asking that question, he does answer it. Look at verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. See, Paul is saying there, our resurrection bodies will be so different to these bodies, we won't know exactly what it's like till we get there. Until this body's planted, till it dies and it's planted and it's resurrected and we're given new bodies, we can't really know because they'll be different. But those who believe in Jesus will have new bodies in the resurrection and the new bodies will be made for life. That's the point Paul's making. Each body's made for a different purpose. Our resurrection bodies are made for eternal life. Hard to describe them because they've got a different purpose, but the great thing is they won't die because they'll be like Jesus' new body. Look at verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. See how he describes these bodies compared to our new ones? Perishable, dishonourable, weak. Think about your own body for a minute. Is it beginning to wear out? Mine's uh, still quite young, but I'm not too bad. But, I mean, it's a bit hard to hide. I'm losing some hair. My knees are wearing out. That's a bit hard to hide on the hockey field. I get sick every year or two. It's a good reminder that I won't live forever. Probably one day I'll die from, from getting the flu or something. What about you? Maybe your eyes are fading. Maybe you're hard of hearing. Maybe you've had some parts removed. 
Maybe you've had some parts replaced. Maybe you've got some extra parts in there. These bodies, they have a use-by date. But after the resurrection, things will be different because our heavenly bodies won't wear out. They will be powerful. They'll be glorious. See, the resurrection, and it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is at work in us, and it will change us. On that last day, everyone who believes in Jesus will be changed just like Jesus was changed on that first Sunday. And these bodies of death will be changed into bodies for life. That's why we don't have to be paralysed by a fear of death. That's why we can be different to people around us. The sting is taken out of death. Look at verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Paul here is talking to death. Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the power of death is gone because Jesus has rescued us from eternal death and given us eternal life. There's a story of a boy and his father driving down the road in spring and a bee flies in the car window. Now, we've had a bee in our car and it's a little bit scary. But this was made worse by the fact that the little boy was allergic to bee stings. And so the father was quick thinking. He reached out and he grabbed the bee. But the bee escaped and is flying around the car still. Now, of course, the little boy is petrified. But the father holds out his hand and he shows in his hand is stuck the stinger of the bee. And he says to the boy, you don't need to be scared, the bee has no sting. Now I'm not sure if that's a true story or one of these urban myths, but it's a great illustration of the Christian and death. Yes, death is still around us, just like a bee might be alive for one or two minutes, but death is defeated. And yes, it looks dangerous, but it's powerless. Jesus has taken the sting of death away. See, the sting of death is that if we die as a sinner, we go to eternal judgment. But Jesus has taken that sting away. He's defeated sin by his death. We're forgiven if we trust him. And he's defeated death by his resurrection. And his resurrection guarantees our resurrection if we trust him. We have nothing to fear if we're in Jesus. Now, knowing that will change how we live, won't it? I'm not going to spend very long at all on this this morning, but it will change the way we live. If the dead are not raised, well, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's what Paul says earlier. If there's no resurrection, well, we're wasting our time as Christians. We're to be pitied above everyone. We may as well just eat and drink and enjoy this short life because tomorrow we die and after that, nothing. So, sure, go for maximum pleasure, maximum thrills, maximum excitement. Don't worry about other people. Pour your time and energy into ignoring death. Don't ask any hard questions. Make life as pleasant as it can be because in the grave there's nothing and then after that there's nothing. But there's a slight problem with that. Jesus was raised from the dead which means 
that will be raised. And so Paul says in verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm as Christians. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. See, suddenly, this life is loaded with meaning because what we do here now will matter into eternity. The things that we do for Jesus will last beyond the grave. So this morning, that's the reminder for us. Jesus' resurrection changes things. It changes how we die, but it changes how we live. Let's pray.